Hello and welcome to another episode of Some Random Thoughts. I am your host, Ryan Wilkowski, and I'm excited to be doing another episode. And this one's going to be on relationships and vulnerability. Thank you so much for all of you who have been listening so far, and I hope you enjoyed uh, all the episodes and everything you've listened to so far. And if you have, um, would you do me a favor um, whenever you get the chance and go ahead and leave me a review on wherever you listen to your podcast. Uh, the more reviews that are left, that'll help my podcast get more visible and seen to more people. And I would appreciate all the help uh, that you can provide. And even if you have never listened to, to this podcast before and you're stumbled on it, um, I hope it's enjoyable. I hope it's helpful. I hope that something that I share will be of use to you. And that's really the mission of my podcast is really just to share what seems to be random thoughts on a whole bevy of subjects actually kind of make sense and be practical and helpful. So thank you again for listening. Um, so like I said, today, I'm going to be talking about relationships and vulnerability. Pretty heavy topic, but at the same time, I think something that's very important and very much needed because we are all affected by the relationships that we have in our lives or the lack of relationships that we have in our lives. And it's important to remember that we as humans are social creatures and that we thrive off of relationships, that we have to have relationships for many different reasons. One of the earliest reasons that the human species saw relationships as an important part of their existence is for the means of survival, right? So we as a species have this evolutionary ingrained need to survive. It's this natural propensity. And one of the most effective ways that you can survive, especially back when the species started, was to form tribes, right? Was to form communities, where you were not alone, that there were other people that supported you, had your back, and that's and, and the chance of you surviving and actually living for means of procreation and just for productivity and just for living was to be with other people. But we've seen that concept of relationships, tribes, communities, societies, cultures. We've seen that movement all the way to today. That has always been a part of the human species. It's always been a part of the human condition is this need to have relationships. And for many of us, it's not just for a means of survival anymore. It's a means for thriving, for feeling like we can self-actualize, right? Fulfillment is a huge 
need for the human species as well and for the human condition, this need to feel fulfilled, to feel satisfied, to feel like we're doing what we need to do in order to live a life that is healthy and whole. And relationships are a key part of that. So that's why I wanted to do an episode on relationships. As broad as the subject can be, it's important that we at least understand why do we have this need for relationships. The other reason I wanted to talk about relationships is because there's this intrinsic emotional need that we also have that many of us either don't engage in or we suppress or we ignore or we minimize which is the power of vulnerability. And a lot of the concepts that I'm going to talk about when it comes to vulnerability come from a social work researcher who I admire and have read her works, I've watched her works, is Brene Brown. And so a lot of what I'm going to talk about when vulnerability is going to be attributed to Brene Brown. And then I'm also going to be referencing some other works when it comes to relationships. And I'll make sure to list all of the references that I have in the bio on this episode so that you can see plain and clear and read for yourself uh, what I've been referencing. So this season, I've just liked to have referenced lots of different things, and I want to make sure I attribute all those things to these people. Because even though I have random thoughts on all the topics I present, it comes with some research in the background. The first thing I want to talk about when it comes to relationships is that Have you noticed when you were a child that when you tried to form friendships with your peers, that it seemed to be a little bit easier? Not always easy, of course. And I'm starting to see that with my oldest child who's in pre-K and is soon going to be moving into kindergarten and through the primary school, elementary school ages where he's going to begin to form relationships and friendships with with classmates and with other people and really learning how to navigate those kind of systems for the first time but I've even started to notice when he's been in preschool and in other settings um, that it seems like kids when they're young when then that preschool age and that elementary school age when they're starting to learn how to form relationships and friendships it seems to come easy to them for a lot, like I said, for a lot of kids, not all kids, because there's this sense of, hey, you're here, I'm here, I want to have friends, you want to have friends, let's just like hang out, right? The one thing I admire about my son is that he's very extroverted. He's not shy at all. He'll try to make a friend with anybody. And there's good and bad that comes with that. But the good thing that comes from it is that he tends to want to make friends and really want to put himself out there, which takes a lot of courage and it takes a lot of vulnerability. And at the same time, he is starting to experience for the first time whenever somebody rejects something. And I'm always having to remind him when someone rejects something, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting the idea of They don't feel as connected or want to as connect with you as much. But that doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you. It just means for whatever reason, you two are not vibing or connecting. And I want him to learn that at a young age. Because with me, one of the things I struggled with for a long time is that if anybody ever rejected me, I thought that I was the problem. I thought that I was the mistake. 
And that's not necessarily true. Most of the time, you are not the problem. It's just for whatever reason, the connection's not there. Now, are there things that we can improve upon ourselves in order to be a better friend or to be more attractive if we're looking for a romance, a romantic partner or to make yourself more marketable if you want to you know, prom- get promoted at work or whatever in your career? Yes, of course, there are things that we can work on. To become self-aware about that is a whole nother topic for a whole nother day. But yes, we can improve ourselves. But when it comes to our intrinsic identity and our intrinsic authenticity of who we are, our innermost being, we shouldn't have to change that for anybody. And that I believe if we are our most authentic self, we will attract certain people to us that can be really good friends and can be our support system. And then there are people that are just not going to vibe with us. And that's okay too. We have to learn that that's okay. I want my child to learn this from a young age because I want him to have this self-confidence that there's nothing wrong with him, but that some people are going to be attracted to you in the qualities that you possess and some people aren't. But that's what I want to start off with. And that's what I want to talk about. So I saw this article from NPR. It's by Julia Furlan. And it's called Accept the Awkwardness, How to Make Friends and Keep Them. And like I said, one of the observations I had is like from a young age, from where we're toddlers and we enter into those early childhood years, it seems like making friends for the most of us, it comes easy and naturally. Um, But then as we get older, as we enter into adulthood, young adulthood, middle adulthood, late adulthood, it gets more and more difficult to find friends, maintain friendships, and thrive in friendships and allow those friendships to grow and to deepen. But there are certain things that we can do in order to, like the article said, accept the awkwardness. Because one of the main things when it comes to making friends as an adult is that it's very awkward to make friends as an adult. Because we don't have those same built-in things necessarily that children do. You know, children get a lot of structure. Um, And that's a good thing for them. Developmentally, they need structure. Um, But school is the most built-in thing for them. Next to that would be faith communities for those that practice a faith system. After that, it would be sports teams for those who play sports. After that, it would be social groups, you know, Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, whatever other civic organization there may be. So there are built-in ways for children to make friends and it seems like they have this intrinsic quality to want to make friends more easy they're less awkward most of them as we get older i feel like we get more and more awkward because we learn about the world we learn about ourselves we learn about others we learn about all these things a lot of us become cynical a lot of us become self um reserved a lot of us become cautious a lot of us become introverted Um, I'm an example of that. I was somebody who was very extroverted when I was younger and I'm pretty introverted now. Um, so it, it, it just be, it just becomes one of those things where you just have to understand that if you really want to deepen friendships and have meaningful friendships, it's going to be awkward, but you have to accept the awkwardness is one of the first steps they talk about and assume that other people need friends too. And I think that's a really good thing. Trying to focus on perspective is what they're trying to say. Look, you're not the only one in the boat. If you feel like you need friends, there are a lot of other people that feel like they need friends too. All of us need a sense of community. All of us need to feel belonging. All of us need friends. All of us need a support system. So accepting that, knowing that it's weird and uncomfortable to make friends, but that other people feel the same way, feeling about 
the same way together, allowing yourselves to be vulnerable together can really open up the potential for deeper friendships. The second thing is remember that people will like you more than you think they will. A lot of us through trauma, through experience, through other reasons, we become very self-deprecating and we become very reserved. And we even, like I said earlier, really dig down. And if somebody rejects us, we automatically feel like it's our fault. There's something wrong with us. That's the default. Instead of thinking, well, no, it just didn't work out. Or maybe there's something wrong with them or whatever. We always go to the default as there's something wrong with us. We need to remember that there's always these negative voices in our head that are telling us that we're doing something wrong or we're not good enough and things like that. We always in- internalize negative uh, negative negative narratives about ourselves more than positive ones. But we, we need to remember that people do like us more than they think you do. People like you more than you think they do. People like me more than I think I do. That they do like me. So it's just one of those situations where you have to really put yourself out there and go, you know what, I'm going to take a chance and I'm going to try to make friends. And if it doesn't work out, whatever, let me just move on. And if it does work out, great. Um, but you, for the most part, if you're listening to this, I'm going to assume that you're a likable person. If you're not, then just take it for what it is and take the benefit of, of the doubt. But if you're a likable person, remember that you are a pretty cool person, you know, in that you're not perfect. No one is, but you deserve to have friends and you deserve to have relationships and you deserve to be seen. Invest in activities that you love. So if there's an activity that you like, then try to engage in that activity. A lot of times when we see meetup groups being formed, community groups that are being formed, it's always around some common interest, right? I've seen this all the time in my work as a, as a hospice chaplain and as a bereavement coordinator and just working in hospice in general when I visit facilities, especially whether it's assisted livings, independent livings, you know, things of that nature. You know, the good assisted living communities always have like activities, right, for the residents every day. And, um, you know, you have your knitting club or you'll have the chess club or the theater club and you have all these activities, right? And you'll start to navigate, oh, I want to go to this club. I want to go to that club. But we have these clubs, community groups everywhere, right? Um, It's always around a common interest. And that's another way that you can make friends is by going to a meetup or going to a, a, a thing that you like. Um, it's okay to treat friendship as seriously as you would dating. Having friends is one of the most fulfilling things that you can do. Um, it's not weird to prioritize it. A lot of times we don't prioritize having friendships. This is a more common problem in males than it is in females, stereotypically. Um, females seem to thrive off of friendships and really value friendships much more intensely than men do. And typically that could be for a lot of reasons. Um, If you're looking at traditional gender roles and all that, you know, men tend to work, women don't, blah, 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 blah. That's not necessarily true today. We live in a much different world where things are much more nuanced and people are taking on nuanced identities about themselves. Um, But if you were just looking at it from a stereotypically gendered heteronormative perspective, that was kind of the reason why women valued friendships more than men do. But today... It's not really a gendered thing anymore as much. It's just we're all very busy. We all have lots of things going on, and it's really hard to prioritize friendships whenever you might have a family, you're working, you have other commitments, you're just trying to to make it. 
but really having friendships is key. It's the thing that gets you to decompress, and it's the thing that if it's you're with good friends and you're with good people, it can be really nourishing and uplifting in the soul, and it can really make you feel connected. It can actually drive you to be a better person um, in many different ways. Being present. So to be a good friend, they list off some tips. Number one, listen and notice things about your friend. Don't make it all about you, right? If you're wanting to form a friendship, listen. Notice the things that your friend likes to do. Be present in their lives and and care about what they want. Uh, Take notes. It'll help you remember conversations and allow you points of connection later. You can take the notes mentally and then write it down later um, if you have a bad memory like me. Number three, remember the names of folks in your friend's lives. Ask to see a picture of the person they're talking about. Let's say your friend is dating somebody and they're really excited about it. Ask them about it. Inquire about it. Make them feel like it's important. Remember that there's been a lot of research done on friendships and research continues to happen because we understand that friendships are important and that we need to continually foster these friendships. There's another article that I want to talk about how to build and maintain healthy relationships. And these go into more specific kind of relationships, specifically the romantic partnership. And the thing about romantic partnerships is that they're absolutely vital. And we're seeing a growing trend of people that are not in romantic partnerships. And it's not because people don't want to be in romantic partnerships. Honestly, the vast majority of people want to be in a romantic partnership. Another thing I want to mention is that romance doesn't necessarily equal sexual relationship. There are a lot of people that want to be in a romantic relationship, but aren't sexual in nature. There are a lot of people that are sexual in nature, but don't want to be in a romantic partnership. Those two things are not the same, um, and they don't need to be conflated. But usually in a romantic partnership, a lot of the times, those people are also wanting to be in a sexual relationship and vice versa. So... Building and maintaining a healthy relationship, um, like a romantic partnership, is a daily, year-round commitment. Another thing that we need to realize is that we need to get out of the traditional understandings of romantic partnerships. I like the I like the term romantic partnership because it's not saying it doesn't allude to anything specific. It doesn't allude to the traditional understanding of a monogamous relationship. It it, it doesn't allude to the heteronormative relationship. A romantic partnership can really be anything. It could be a monogamous heterosexual relationship. It could be a monogamous homosexual relationship. It could be a monogamous queer relationship, non-binary relationship that are all monogamous. It could be polyamorous um, in all of those things, in all of those um, sexual and gender identities as well. Um, it could be It could be anything um, as long, and, and romance really kind of, is different than like platonic friendships, for example, that we just talked about earlier. But one of the first things that we need to do in order to have strong romantic partnerships, however they look like, is we need to identify needs. We need to really talk to our partners about what their needs are. And we need to be honest about what our needs are. We have to have a meeting of the minds. Communicating those needs um, is is incredibly important. Um, Trying to have emotional uh, compatibility is deeply vital in order for a relationship to deepen and to really be strong. We need to have emotional responsiveness, okay? So if we're noticing something emotionally going on with our 
partner, whether they're feeling happy, they're feeling sad, they're feeling mad, they're feeling frustrated, they're feeling angry, they're feeling elated, they're feeling down, they're feeling whatever they're feeling, we need to be attuned to our partner's needs. And our partner needs to have the vulnerability to be able to share those needs. But we also have to respect whenever they don't want to share those needs. But we still need to be able to check in with them from time to time uh, on a frequent basis to, to see how they're doing. Um, the second thing is we, they have, you have to make time for each other. And I'm speaking for somebody who is having a more and more difficult time with this ever since having children. But that's not an excuse. I want to make time for my wife, for my spouse, for my partner. Why? Because... As we get older, life gets busier, you have children or you have other commitments, it's difficult to maintain the spark in that relationship, to maintain the love and the joy in that relationship. But staying connected, whether it's going on date nights, um, doing one-on-one -on -one time, um, just talking to each other, doing check-ins whenever check-ins are more convenient, whether it's at night, whether it's in the morning, just having one-on-one -on -one connections that are not necessarily distracting, but are just you and your partner talking to each other, spending time with each other is key. If you're not spending time with your partner, your partner is going to feel neglected over time. That's just the way it is. We need to have connection. Connection is key for thriving, healthy relationships. The third thing, listen with full attention. This can be hard for me too. I need to learn to listen with full attention. You can't listen with full attention, and I know people are gonna argue with this, but it's absolutely true. You cannot listen with full attention while you're distracted. You need to make eye contact. You need to listen intensely. And you can't do that while you're looking at your phone. You can't do that while you're watching TV. You can't do that while you're doing any kind of task or activity in the house. You need to listen with full attention. And the thing is, listening is different than hearing. The hearing is audible noise going into your ear being translated by your brain. That's hearing. Listening is not just hearing, but actually deciphering what that person is saying, processing that in your brain, interpreting that in your brain, and then relaying that back to the person in a way that makes that person feel heard, that they're feeling that they feel listened to, that you're understanding what they're talking about. Those are the, the keys to true listening. There's a, there's a process that a lot of people in human services fields learn in their training, whether it's to become a chaplain or a social worker or a psychologist or a therapist or whatever, and it's called active listening. Active listening is a skill that is learned by somebody in order to understand best what the other person is, is telling them. So if you have a good therapist, your, your therapist is going to per, do active listening. They're going to hear what you're saying, and they're either going to relay it back to you in a different way. They're going to re relay it back to you either by phrasing what you said differently, by maybe asking a question for curiosity or for elaboration, things like that. So you need to listen with full attention. The next thing is you need to speak your mind. If you're going to be in a romantic partnership and you're going to deepen the relationship, you got to be honest with your partner. If you can't be honest with your partner, who can you be honest with? Not many people. Um, you need to model that in your romantic partnership. If you can't speak your mind, if you can't be honest, if you can't be vulnerable, if you can't be true to who you are, your romantic partner is going to know that and is going to understand it and it's going to be difficult for them. You have to create healthy boundaries as well. Boundaries can materialize in many different ways. 
don't lose yourself and don't lose the importance of creating joy and time for yourself. This is one of the hardest things to do. I would think out of everything, this is one of the hardest things to have to do. I can tell you from experience as a hospice chaplain and a grief counselor for several years, and then before that being a pastor, and just so always working with humans my entire life, and being in my own relationship with my partner, and my wife or spouse, whatever you want to call her. I call her my wife most of the time. It can get really easy when you're in a romantic partnership to become really codependent with your partner. Your partner is going to be your most important person in the world. They should be. If they're not, there's something wrong there. But they should be the most important person in your life, your romantic partner. And if they're not, that says something about the relationship. But there's also something to be said about the relationship when they are the only significant person in your life. If you don't have friends outside of your romantic partner, if you don't have strong connections with people outside of your romantic partner, you will develop this propensity for codependency. And codependency can be really, really painful, especially if, God forbid, your loved one dies. If your loved one dies and you don't have any other kind of strong, healthy friendships or relationships outside of your romantic partner, it can be very detrimental. And I've seen this happen time and time and time again as a grief counselor. And that's one of the hardest things to do in the grieving process is not just lament and mourn the person that you've lost, it's you lose everything else that's connected to that person. There's a major void that happens that you have to try to reconcile and it can be very difficult. So those are just some tips on how to build and maintain healthy relationships. And the last thing I want to talk about is um, daring to be vulnerable. Vulnerability is one of the most difficult things you can ever engage with in the human emotional landscape. Okay, Vulnerability is very, very raw. It's very honest. It's very visceral. It's very exposing. The, the word that keeps on coming to mind when I think of vulnerability is exposing, exposition, just kind of opening up yourself, opening the most inner part of yourself to somebody else. Vulnerability is really, really scary, really nerve wracking. It can you can have somatic reactions to vulnerability, like feeling nauseous or just feeling jittery or feeling scared or anxious. Vulnerability is, according to Brene Brown, is the core, the heart, the center of meaningful human experiences. She goes on to say in her book, Daring Greatly, vulnerability is uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure. And that when we think of times that we have felt vulnerable or emotionally exposed, we are actually recalling times of great courage. So one of the things about Brene Brown is that she links vulnerability and courage together. There's this misnomer that if you're vulnerable, you're not courageous. We look at courage as just pure strength, like, oh, I'm strong and nobody will get to me and I will not expose myself to anybody. And I'm going to be this like very rigid, strong, unfeeling person. No, Courage is letting yourself out in the open and being exactly who you are in every single way, shape, and form and being as authentic as possible and you doing you and not caring about what anybody else thinks necessarily about who you are authentically. That's courage and that's vulnerability. But vulnerability, according to Brene, 
is um, the birthplace of love, belonging, joy, courage, empathy, and creativity. It just really houses the emotional human landscape, according to her. And if we can be vulnerable, a lot of the other emotional experiences that a human can have can also flourish and blossom in vulnerability. And if we can't engage with vulnerability, a lot of the other emotions that we can experience as a human may not come to pass. So a lot of times we avoid vulnerability because of things that I've said, like the somatic reactions, feeling shame, fear, uncertainty about what's going to happen if we're vulnerable. Sometimes that if we get vulnerable, we can get burned, we can get rejected, and that makes us feel really, really awful. Um, this idea of perfectionism, that if like we don't present ourselves as perfect, that people are going to judge us or people won't trust us or things might... things that are good might not come our way. Um, but a lot of times what's happening is that we're just imagining the worst case scenario every single time. <clears throat> and that's leading us to not wanting to be vulnerable. But we got to stop imagining the worst case scenario. We have to trust that being vulnerable in the end is a good thing. It's a net positive for us and that it makes us a better person. It's gonna make people around us better too. Um, and then Brene closes with saying, Without vulnerability, there is no love, no belonging, and no joy. So we have to learn to get comfortable with vulnerability. And um, really quick, um, there, here are some tips that um, Dr. Brene Brown shares. One, recognize that facing vulnerability takes enormous courage. Two, let go of the constant worry about what other people think of you. Three, if you're feeling overwhelmed, focus your attention gently on your breath and the sensations in your body and then return attention to the task at hand. And four, don't worry about being perfect. In fact, don't even consider it because no one is perfect, so give it up. And the more you give up impossible ideals, the better. So wonderful, wonderful tips from Dr. Brene Brown, one of my favorite humans of all time. And if you don't know who Brene Brown is, please look her up. She's got several books. Some of my favorite books are Daring Greatly, Braving the Wilderness are my two favorites, but she has a lot of other works that you can feel free to check out. Um, and she also has a couple of specials. I think she has one on Netflix, uh, The Call to Courage. She has one called Atlas of the Heart based on her newest book that's on HBO Max. And then she has the famous TED Talk on vulnerability that you can look up on YouTube. So she's one of the best. Go look her up. You won't regret it. She's amazing. And no, I'm not being sponsored or endorsed by anybody. These are just genuine people that I like. Well, that will wrap it up for me. Thank you so, so very much for listening, for tuning in, for just giving me a little bit of your time. I hope that this time has been valuable for you and that you've learned something new. Please, if there's anything that you would like to share with me at all, please go on my website at ryanmolkowski.com, click on my podcast link, scroll to the bottom where you see leave a message, and you can leave a message for me. You can also do it through the contact form on my website as well. You can also reach out to me on social media at Ryan Molkowski on Twitter and Instagram. Please leave me a DM. Otherwise, thank you so much for listening, for tuning in. Really appreciate all your love and support. And remember, you have one life. Make the most of it, and we'll see you next time.